and boy, they just were hiring him night and day. But he had a problem. He had a drinking problem, a pretty severe drinking problem. And it got better pretty fast. Then one night he was watching a Billy Graham crusade on TV, and they accepted Jesus into his heart. And the following morning, he checked himself into a rehab clinic and quit drinking. At this point, Hollywood shunned him. He was now not only a non-drinker, he was a Christian. They wanted nothing to do with him. He couldn't find work anywhere. He slowly went broke. And about two years later, there's a knock on the door. He opens it, and turns out to be an old friend, John Wayne. And Wayne says, all your trouble started. Wayne said, I don't understand how you could give it up so easily. And he just said, it's no big secret. All, that all things are possible with God. John Wayne said, that's a catchy first song. And so it did. <laughs> The chimes of time bring out the news Other days through Someone slipped and fell Sing a lot But that's someone you You may have long For added strength And courage to renew Do not be disheartened for I still you. It is no secret what God can do. What for others, for you. With arms wide open, pardon you. It is no secret. There is no night, for in this light, and you'll never walk alone. Always feel at home, forever. This change and I is promised, don't run away and hide. There is no secret what God can do. Boy, one for others, He'll do for you and you and you. With arms wide open, He'll pardon you. God too. <laughs> He also wrote, uh, this old house. Anyway, we got to turn out okay. <laughs> and this cold that wants to drip something all over my paper. I'm trying not to let it. If I be like this, and what's happening? Well, in the old days, they used to tell jokes in the Great Lakes region called Club Swede jokes. Now, we don't do that anymore because we're, we're much too sensitive. But they were very much like our newer dumb blonde jokes. Um, anyway, it's my, I make my business never to make disparaging remarks about any group or any nationality. So I've changed the whole story about two Swedes into a story about two Midianites. <laughs> the reason I chose the Midianites is because there aren't any more living. And no one can be upset with this. So anyway. <laughs> 
there were these two Midianites, Sven and Olaf. <laughs> Olaf is going down the lake to go fishing when he sees Sven coming the other way. Sven has his fishing pole over his shoulder and his creel on his hip. Olaf says, how many fish did you catch today? Sven said, I'm not going to tell you how many fish I caught. Olaf says, you're not going to tell me how many fish you caught? Sven says, no. Olaf says, what if I guess how many fish you caught? Will you give me one of them? Sven laughs. If you can guess how many fish I caught, I'll give you both of them. Olaf guesses, fine. Sven says, not bad, you only just buy two. <laughs> anyway, if you have a Bible with you, I'm going to tell you a story about some real fishermen. It's uh, Mark, Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verse 35. Mark 4, 35, and I'm going to read while you're looking. At the same day, on the same day when evening was come, Jesus said to them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And Jesus was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And the disciples awoke him and said, Your master, carest thou not that we perished? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it you have no faith? And verse 41 says, And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? And one verse in the Mark Bible. And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gatherings. Let's pray. Father, we just pray, Lord, that you will inhabit our praises today. Lord, that you are filling this room with your Holy Spirit, that we can hear your still, small voice. Lord, that you'll make it very clear to each one of us individually what you have brought us here for this morning. So bless us with understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. In late October 1991, nine fishing boats were scattered around the icy waters of southeast Nova Scotia in the last gasp effort to catch swordfish before the full blast of winter would end their fishing season. The ships were the Andrea Gale, the Lori Vaughn, the Township Holland, the Hannibal, the Allison, the Miss Millie, the Seneca, the Mary T, and Mr. Simon. 1,500 miles south, just above the coast of Florida, a late-season fluke hurricane named Grace, of all things, was churning northward. Normally, such a storm would come ashore somewhere, but pushing it steadily up the eastern seaboard. Port Nova Scotia and the tiny fishing place. As a matter of information, the hurricane is by far the most powerful event on Earth. The combined arsenals of the United States and the former Soviet Union don't contain enough energy to keep a hurricane going for one day. A typical hurricane encompasses a million cubic miles of atmosphere and could provide all the electric power needed by the United States for four years. During the Labor Day hurricane in 1935, winds surpassed 200 miles an hour and people caught outside were sandblasted to death. Rescue workers found nothing but shoes and belt buckles. So much rain can fall up to five inches an hour that soil liquefies and birds drown in flight. In 1938, a hurricane generated waves so big, the earth literally 5,000 miles away. 
So Grace is headed directly towards this fishing fleet, but it's only part of the problem. An S-shaped phenomenon known as a short wave trough, it's similar to a hurricane, is barreling across the Great Lakes at about 40 knots and picking up steam, and it's headed on a collision course with Grace. And thirdly, an Arctic cold front with continent-sized eddies called anti-cyclones, because they circulate clockwise to the counterclockwise, is descending upon the fleet from the northeast. How do we call the nor'easter these kinds of huge storms that are known by another name among meteorologists? They call them bombs. On October 28, all three storms collide and converge just off the coast of Nova Scotia. And when they meet, they are hurtled eastward as if shot out of the barrel of thermonuclear cannon directly at the nine capital ships. At this point, all nine this name simply because the conditions were absolutely perfect for the most terrible storm ever imagined. 2,000 years earlier on the Sea of Galilee, 13 men in the boat are also about to face a truly terrible storm. Although all of this is very early in Jesus' ministry, his three-year ministry, crowds are already following him everywhere. So Jesus has asked his disciples to sail across the Sea of Galilee and get him to the other side for a short break from Manassas. And so they ended the boat and took off. And verse 37 of today's scripture tells us, there arose a great storm of wind. There arose a great storm of wind. Great is from the Greek word megas, as in negative, as in megamucho. Literally, the maximum, utmost, greatest possible. So these 13 men are also about to face the greatest, not maximum, utmost, greatest possible storm, a megastorm, a perfect storm. And suddenly, out of nowhere, it hits wind so fierce, the mass must have grown like a cello, waves so huge, it's all but sinking off the boat, and the tiny, and the, the I'm sorry, the boat continues, and the waves beat into the ship so it was now full. The little boat is full of water, and yet Jesus is in the back of the boat, sound asleep on a pillow. Somehow all this water isn't waking him up. As a note, by the way, this is the only instance in all the Gospels where we find Jesus sleeping. And the fact that he is not waking up, not even in this huge storm, implies he's probably exhausted. And I think we know why. The Bible tells us that just before they set sail, Jesus had been teaching all day long. He'd been standing in the same small boat, but slightly out to sea, so that the multitudes could see and hear him. And during the day, he had taught the parable of the soils, the parable of the seeds, the parable of the tares, the parable of the mustard seed, and the parable of the leavened loaf. I get excited. Exhausted just teaching for 26 minutes here. <laughs> anyway, Jesus is sound asleep on a pillow in the back of the boat. And verse 38 says, And they, the disciples, awoke him and said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And verse 39 adds, And Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. So amazing things to know here. First, Jesus gets up and says to the storm, Peace. Be still. Peace, be still. In the original Greek, he's actually, actually saying something more like, shush, be muzzled. Question, who's he talking to? Answer, the prince of darkness, or one of his ambassadors. In other words, Jesus is ordering the powers of darkness to stop making such a racket. Hush! And what happens? The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Jesus has complete power over the rulers of darkness. 
So often people imagine this powerful struggle between good and evil, between God and Satan, but really there's no struggle at all. Jesus tells Satan, be muzzled, and he shrinks off like a beaten dog. Too often it's easy to forget the promise of 1 John, 1 John 4 4. You are a godly children and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It's you. If you've got Jesus in you, if I've got Jesus in me, evil can't stand up to us. It may give us a hard time, but ultimately, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we will ultimately triumph in those situations. One other thing, too. The scripture says, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. I like that. It wasn't just calm. It was a great calm. It's the same great we used earlier. Magos, meaning maximum, ultimate, greatest, most, most huge, best of all, whatever. And the greatest possible storm is transformed by Jesus into the greatest possible calm. I think a lot of us have learned this in our lives. A lot of us have seen this happen for ourselves. He creates a beautiful calm where everything once again is safe. Verse 40 said, and he said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is that you have no faith? And this is a great, even a mega question. We're going to come back to it in just a few minutes. But now our scripture says in verse 41, and they feared exceedingly and said to one another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? When the perfect storm slammed into Nova Scotia, then into the fishing fleet, scientists said that generated the highest waves ever recorded. 75 to 100 feet was typical, and every single ocean-borne instrument used for measuring wind velocity was destroyed. And yet, in this gigantic, powerful storm, only one ship, the Andrew Gale, was lost. The others, the Lori Dawn, the Conship Holland, the Hunter Bowden, the Allison, the Miss Millie, the Sanford, the Mount Mary T, the Mr. Simon, they were all saved. Only one boat was lost. What happened? What happened to this one boat? Now, as I heard me, sorry, I said earlier, I don't like to disparage anybody or anything. I don't really know the capitalist boat, Billy Tommy, at all. But from what I've read, this is what most likely caused the problems. Number one, pride. Pride. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Captain Billy Tommy of the Andrea Gale was frankly arrogant in dismissing the warnings of the severity of the storm. Pride says, this will bother me. Pride says, I can handle this. Pride says, I'm not like other captains. Pride says, I'm unique. Boom. Whenever pride steals into my ship, I'm doomed. Captain Billy should have turned his ship around, but pride let him sink the ball. I like what Alexander Solzhenitsyn said about pride. He said, pride grows on the human heart like lard on a pig. <laughs> Mark Twain said this Timber is what get most of us into trouble Pride is what keeps us there <laughs> Yes, it's true So about the story, I need to ask myself Is my pride keeping me there? Am I refusing help? Am I difficult to deal with? Am I not listening to what others are telling me? Am I a hard-headed nut? <laughs> is Jesus trying to break me in all this? It's all a good question in the story So the first reason Billy's boat sank was pride the second reason is greed. The Andrew Gale had not caught enough swordfish to show a profit and did not want to return back to port and only have him be told. So even though they were being warned by the captains, being warned by the Coast Guard, being warned by the huge waves, they decided to risk everything for one more day, one more catch, one more fish, one more dollar. And 
Folks, that is exactly the very nature of grief. It's insatiable. It's insatiable. Ask any gambling addict. Ask any shopaholic. Ask anyone who's lost everything trying to win the Oregon lottery. In fact, ask me. I never thought I was greedy until one night I was out golfing. After a heavy rain, we got to the ninth tee, and there's this long fairway with a bottom lake to the left. And most of us uh, bad golfers always end up with this or the green. I had a good drive, but uh, my second shot looped and mopped into the little pond. And when I got up there, I could not retrieve my golf balls because this was golf ball. There must have been 1,000 golf balls. <laughs> Almost all of them knew. Magnified even bigger than they were. Just waiting to be picked up. So what did I do? Did I call the clubhouse and report the find? No. Instead, I called my buddies. We started loading our pockets until we ran out of room. We put them in our hands, our hats, and we put them in our golf, golf towels and in our golf bags. And golf had as many balls we could not even push our carts. And all the time, this is forcing coming up behind us. So, we're supposed to go play. I tell you, first I was obsessed, then I was possessed. Finally, I was depressed because I had to leave so many golf balls behind. <laughs> now the question is, how many free golf balls are enough? The answer, I have no idea. I had to go out. But the Andrew Gale was simply because of pride. These rules don't apply to me. Because of greed, just a little more and I'll be happy. And because of, and this is a word we don't really use too often, sloth. I always thought sloth meant sloppy, but I looked over the dictionary, it doesn't. It means reluctance to work or make an effort. Laziness. Laziness. Proverbs 6.10 is my very favorite proverb. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. There's an old story, and I know you've all heard it, so I want to tell it again because it exactly fits what I'm talking about here. There's a guy standing on the roof of his house during the flood, and the water's steadily rising. And this rowboat comes by, and people shout, You better hop in with us, you're going to get swept away. The guy says, No, I'm okay, my God is going to save me. A little later, another boat comes by, and people shout, Quick, get aboard, the water's still rising, and you're going to get swept away. The guy says, No, thanks, God's going to save me. Finally, the water's up to the peak, the helicopter comes flying over, hovers above him, the pilot says, Hurry, grab the rope ladder, the water's going to rise, and you're going to get swept away. The guy, no matter. I got God on my side. He's going to save me. Five minutes later, the flood sweeps him away and he drowns. When he gets to heaven, he angrily confronts God. He says, I trusted you. I believed in you. And you just let me drown. And God said, No, I didn't. I said, Two boats and a helicopter and rescue me. <laughs> Two boats and a helicopter and rescue me. And there I am. And there I am. Perhaps too often I don't contribute to my own welfare. Perhaps too often I'm just too lazy, too soft, thoughtful to do what needs to be done. You see, these fishermen were hooked. These fishermen had just spent endless hours laying out miles of fishing net. And they're thinking, real good again? You must be kidding. But sometimes it's important to remember the birds don't stand on the ground with their beaks in the air, expecting God to drop worms from 10,000 feet. They dig for them. That's us. That's us. There are times we got to dig. 
So they end the rebellion with something because of pride. These rules don't apply to me. Greed just a little more and I'll be happy. Sloth, God will do anything. And finally, back to the storm on the Sea of Galilee where the disciples are scared out of their minds. Jesus said, why are you so fearful? How is it you have no faith? Now, as I mentioned before, this is still fairly early in Jesus' ministry, about one year. So perhaps we can excuse the apostles' lack of faith. But let's note something. It is relative, it is a relative, in that relatively short time, they've seen Jesus perform nine different miracles. And so we ask, why are they so fearful? How is it they have no faith? Answer, my answer, it takes time to develop. It takes time. In defense of the twelve, miracles are not generally a reliable basis to build our faith on. Why? Because to a degree, all miracles are somewhat suspect. In fact, the Bible tells us that Pharaoh's magicians were able to exactly duplicate Moses' miracle of turning his wooden staff into a snake. Exactly. And beyond this, even when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, Scripture tells us many believe. But what's implied there? Many didn't. Many didn't. And you know what they did? They, they ran to the Pharisees and told them all about this trick that Jesus had pulled. And this is why Scripture says in Hebrews 11, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things what? Not seen. Not seen. The evidence of things not seen. In other words, faith is not built on witnessing miracles. Faith is built on our experiencing God's abundant love, grace, and blessings that are never day life over and over. So, if I don't want my boat to sink, I need to one, deal with my pride, two, deal with my greed, three, deal with my sloth, and four, need a very good look at the foundation of my faith. What makes me love God? What, what, how, why do I believe? And think about those things. Think about Him and your relationship with Him. In closing, Mark 5, 1 says, and they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gatherings. And they came over, and they came over, and they came over. They made it. They arrived safely, and so do we all. Here's the best part. When I arrive on the other side of the storm, I'm not the same person. In the storm, I've grown. In the storm, I've changed. In the storm, I've learned. In the storm, I've been awakened. In the storm, I've been refined. But most important, in the storm, my faith has been validated. My faith has been validated, which is how I now know, one way or another, Jesus will always get me to the other side of the lake. One way or another, Jesus will always get me to the other side of the raging storm. Billy Graham writes, The storm was raging. The sea was beating against the rocks in huge, dashing waves. The lightning was flashing. The thunder was roaring. The wind was blowing. The little bird was sound asleep in the crevice of the rock its head tucked serenely under its wing. That is peace, able to sleep in a storm. In Christ we are relaxed and at peace in the midst of confusion, bewilderments, perplexities of this life. The storm rages, but our hearts are at rest. We have found peace at last. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the peace you've given each one of us. For those of us, Lord, who have spent time truly getting to know you, Spend a lot of time thinking about you, communing with you, praying to you. We have learned, Lord, that you are wonderful. That you are, your love knows no boundaries. That you are, you, Lord, that you just take care of every one of us. We don't understand your ways always, but we trust them. And so, Lord, I thank you for all you're doing, even here today, 
in the people's hearts who are listening to this way of having the storm ringing. May they remember, Lord, that you always get us to the other side. You always get us through the storm. And may we find all that peace that comes with knowing that he's in charge and everything's in order. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.